All right, let's go to our scripture reading for this morning. We're in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 to 28. We're finishing chapter uh, 7 this morning, looking at verses 11 to 28. And before I begin, um, if you're watching from home, and if anything like last week happens where you get disconnected, call 911. No, call Hyunjin's number and let him know, and then we'll try to fix it and get back online. Hebrews 7, verses 11 to 28. Let me go ahead and read this for us. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's say a quick prayer before we dive into our passage today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, especially during a time when there's so many voices vying for our attention, and it's difficult sometimes to discern which voices we should be listening to, which voices are true. And in, in such moments, in such a season, God, we thank you that you continue to speak to us your word that is trustworthy, unchanging, and gives us eternal life. So may we go to your word now with that hunger and desire for the one thing that can truly give us rest and peace and comfort, and that is you and your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. We're continuing in the series in the book of Hebrews, and um, just as a checkpoint, as a word reminder, this was a letter written to Hebrew uh, Christians, Jewish Christians, by a Jewish apostle who's also a, a, a Christian, a follower of Christ, and it contains in this letter uh, several warning passages uh, because there are many who are beginning to fall away from Christ, going back to the old ways of Judaism, uh, the Old Covenant. And we just covered in the last chapter a very stern warning passage about apostasy, about the possibility that these, some of these people can fall away permanently and be found out as non-believers um, from, the, from the beginning. And then in, in chapter 7, the author very quickly returns to his teaching on the priesthood of Christ. The priesthood of Christ. Okay, why is that important? Two reasons why this is really important. Uh, one, for the, the original audience, and uh, the other reason is for all of us. One, Israel, you see, had a priesthood already. The Levitical priesthood. Uh, where the descendants of Levi make up um, the, the office of the priesthood and mediate for, on, on behalf of God's people and offer sacrifices. Most Israelites, therefore, didn't sense a need for another priesthood. What's wrong with the one we have? Okay. Um, they knew Jesus and the gospel, yet there were many Jewish Christians who were, who were considering returning to their former system of priesthood and temple worship. So they didn't think Jesus was as revolutionary as he was. Okay. Um, that's one reason why this passage today is so important. It's about to completely shift their paradigm for those who needed to hear this the most. And two, this is also important because this is the, the universal application for all of us in all, at all times. This is the only way to enter the kingdom of God, the eternal promised land, okay? the better heavenly country that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob longed for. It's through the priesthood of Christ, not of Levi. The Levitical priesthood, as it turns out, was only a foreshadowing of the better priesthood of Christ. Like everything else in the Old Testament points to Christ, as Jesus said in Luke 24. It's only through the priesthood of Christ that this covenant of God, the eternal covenant of God, will be fulfilled. Remember what that covenant is? You will be my people, and I will be your God, and I'll make my dwelling with you forever. Right? That's God's covenant with his people it's, it's his eternal promise. It's really the only thing he's, he's given to us that's eternal. It's not the temple. He never said the temple will be forever. The, the, the land of Canaan, the Levitical priesthood. It's this covenant that God established with his, his people. The everlasting covenant he established with Abraham. That will outlast everything. Okay. And this passage is about to show us how Jesus is the only one who can keep that covenant for us. And bring us to the promised land. Bring us home. Um, and here there are three ways that he does that. And, and these would be our, our three points. One, um, only Jesus can lead us to God. And only Jesus can lead us to God forever. And only Jesus can reassure us of our forever with God. Okay? Only Jesus can lead us to God. Only Jesus can lead us to God forever. And only Jesus can reassure us we have our forever with God, okay? Let's start with point number one. Only Jesus can lead us to God. Verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need, what further need 
would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one after the order of Aaron? So the logic here is, is pretty clear. If, if all you needed was the Levitical priesthood, for, for Levites to lead you into the temple, offer sacrifices on your behalf, and make you right with God and bring you home to God, why would God send you another priesthood that doesn't belong to the tribe of Levi? Why would he send you a better high priest? Now, to give you a sense of how controversial this would have been uh, to the original audience, let me, let me give you a picture of what worshiping God would have looked like if you were a first-century Jew. What would you do as a first-century Jew to, to go to the house of God and worship him? The first thing you do is you pack your bags because the chances are uh, you are not living in Jerusalem. If you're an average Israelite, you're not living inside Jerusalem. So you got to journey there. And the journey itself is a risk. You're, you're bringing your family along, young and old, and you're risking going through the wilderness, running into thieves, running into wild animals. But let's say you brace that and then you make it to the temple. And, and when you get into the temple, it's festive, it's crowded. When you get to the temple, however, you, you come across this wall, this little wall that blocks the way, and it has a sign that says, no Gentiles can come beyond this point. And so if you're a Gentile, that's where you worship, right there. If you're an Israelite, you move on to the next stage, and you enter the court of the Israelites. But there, you face another barrier. There, you have to be examined whether you are ceremonially clean whether you've done your washings and you've, you haven't defiled yourself by touching things or eating things that you should not be eating. Many were turned away at this point. Right? You're unclean, you need to go wash yourself, take care of yourself this way until you can come back. Let's say you are, however, you've kept yourself ceremonially clean, you're able to move on. Then you enter the court of the priest. And there you see a building called the tabernacle, uh, and there you face another, yet another barrier. And this time it's a thick wall-like curtain that keeps you from the Holy of Holies, the, uh, where the glory of God is tangibly present. Now, if you happen to be there on the day called the Day of Atonement, then you get to see one person going behind that thick curtain wall. It's, the great, it's, it's your high priest who alone can represent you and go behind the curtain and offer sacrifices. And if he comes out alive, uh, that means everything was done according to the law and God received the sacrifice. That's what coming to God, worshiping God, looked like for them. Um, now, when you think about, when you hear this, when you think about this, you, you're bound to wonder why. Why did God make it so difficult? And the answer is, there's a message to all this. A message that people will often forget unless they go through with this. And that message is that we cannot have full access to God. None of us get to have full access all the way to God. There's a barrier after barrier after barrier after barrier. And, and when you get to the 
get to the final point, you have something close to the very presence of God, but it, that itself is not the literal presence of God. It's the presence of His glory, the Holy of Holies. We human beings do not have this kind of access to God. We don't have immunity to the perfect holiness and righteousness of God. In a sense, we have to be quarantined because of our sins. And the author of Hebrews is reminding the Jewish Christians here who are going back to temple worship that even on their best day of worship, even on their best day where the high priest just nailed everything, legally speaking, right, just done everything correct, people have kept themselves pure. On the best day of your worship, you can't get all the way to God. And therefore, God sent them a better priest who can not only represent them in the presence of God, but take them all the way to the presence of God, the priest from the line of Melchizedek. And that's what uh, you heard from Kevin last week. Uh, he shared about how Melchizedek is essentially the, the priesthood that really is representing the priesthood of Christ. Um, no one can come all the way to the Father but through the priesthood of Christ. That's why we need him. He takes you all the way, all the way in. I remember one year back in college, I was a, I was a volunteer and this assistant at this conference in Korea, in this huge hotel and conference center. And um, it's basically a huge gathering of kind of very renowned philosophers, Christian philosophers and, and theologians. And I was helping out there, and they gave me this, uh, because I'm helping out in a lot of ways, they gave me this name tag name tag with my photo on it, that basically gave me, like, access to everything. Um, I could walk into any room, sit in a lecture, I can get any kind of food I wanted in the hotel, any area backstage, sound booth, anywhere. I can go anywhere. But here's what really, really got me. There was this one Christian philosopher speaking at this event named Nicholas Walterstorff. And I know that name might not mean anything to you. But this is like, to me, this is like my Justin Bieber, and I'm a 12-year-old girl, okay? This is, this, is, this is quite a moment for me, and I'm like giddy, and, and I just wanted to sit and just, just behold him speak. <laughs> but then the director of the conference came to me one night and said, hey, um, I want you to go to his room and drop off these evening snacks, and I was like, you want me to go to Dr. Walterstorff's hotel room, knock on his door, and drop him off some evening snacks? Me? He says, yeah, it's fine. Just make sure you're wearing your name tag, and you'll be okay. And, and still I wasn't sure. I was like, do I even look presentable enough, right? How do I look? How's my hair? I'm, I'm just stressing about myself. But anyway, I, I agreed to go. And I went up, and I knocked on his door, and Nicholas Walterstorff, he opened his door, the door to his hotel room, right, for me. And, and I was very quick to introduce myself because um, I don't want him to think I'm a weird, like, just a weird fanboy, just knocking on his door in the middle of the night. I was like, hey, this is who I am, here's what I'm here to you know, bring you, and stuff like that. But he wasn't taken aback at all, that some random guy 
knocked on his hotel room door in the middle of the night. Why? He saw my name tag. The thing that gave me access to everything, even to him in the middle of the night. Um, and as awkward as I felt in that moment, I could see him. I, his wife came out to say hi. I mean, this is the most personal and intimate space. But I felt justified to be there. Why? I had a name tag. I had that name tag. Believing the gospel, trusting in Jesus, means something like this, where because you have Christ as your representative, as your name tag, you can cut through any barrier all the way to God's very own dwelling place, even his chambers, his most intimate and personal place, if you have him. He justifies you being there. Despite all your insecurities about who you are. And, and the thing is, given the, the historical context of this passage, you have to understand that this would have offended a lot of first century Jews, first century Jewish Christians as well, who would have said, wait, but we're Israelites. We have the Levitical priesthood. We have the temple of God where the tabernacle is. And the author of Hebrews is saying, yes, you have all these things and these are blessings, but none of these things will get you all the way to your father. They never did. They never will. You need Jesus to get to the father. So, it says in verse 15 and 16, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, meaning a Levitical descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Okay, he's saying, think about it. If the legal requirement was sufficient and bodily descent, right, biological descendants was sufficient, why would Melchizedek and his line of priesthood be needed? The law is not sufficient. The law does not yield what the author calls indestructible life. It cannot perfect you, as it says later on. Indestructible life, that is what gets you there. And that's just another word for eternal life, dwelling with God forever. You need life eternal. The Levitical priesthood was a temporary means of prolonging the lifeline between God's people and God on, on, on this side of heaven, especially during the Old Covenant, but it never gave them full access to God. It did nothing of the sort. It got them to the courts of God, the outer courts, the inner courts, and one person to the Holy of Holies. But none of them got to his very own presence, not to the chambers of God. Right? And who gets, who gets to go in? The, the children of God the eternal, forever children of God who are given indestructible life. It's like only how my, my children alone, really. Right? Only my children can write fully, bust down my doors at 3 a.m. in the morning and demand that I give them a cup of water, that I go and tuck them in again. Only they get to do that, right? You don't get to do that. Don't you ever there to do that, right? But my kids get to do that. They have full access to me because they're always going to be my children. The Levites cannot give you the status. Only Christ can. The only begotten Son of God who is 
who is a priest not by the law, but by this indestructible life. He brings us all the way to the Father. And so in the Gospel of John, right, Jesus didn't say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No Gentile comes to the Father but through me. He said, no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. Gentiles and Jews. Gentiles who don't have the Levitical priesthood and Jews who do. All of you need me in order to come to the Father. Because only He can bring us all the way in. Okay? And this leads us to the second point. Not only can He alone lead us to the Father, only He alone can lead us to the Father forever. Forever. Verse 17 says, For it is witnessed of Him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, now why is that important? That Jesus is a priest to us forever. And the author explains this in verses 23 to 24. Take a look there. The former priests were many in number. Right? That's what it says in 23. Because they were prevented by what? Death. Death. They're prevented by death from continuing in office. And then it says in verse 24, but he holds his priesthood, that's Christ, permanently because he continues forever. Okay. So notice the contrast there. Those who are priests in the Old Testament were many. Why? They die off. And they can't be priests permanently. And when they die, the people lose their representation. So they need a replacement again and again and again. And without this constant replacement of one priest after another, we have no way of going to God. So we need a better priest. We need a priest who can hold on to this priesthood forever and continue forever on our behalf. So we don't have to stress out about, oh, we have a good priest now. Well, this guy who's succeeding him sucks. Right? He's not going to come out alive from the Holy of Holies. You don't need to worry about that anymore if you have Christ. I don't know if you knew this, that the, the only way you and I can be confident about our eternal relationship with God is only if you're confident that Jesus will continue as your priest forever. Did you know that? See, f your faith is not some magical ticket into heaven. It's not. Your, your faith is not what saves you. Your faith is not what saves you. It's your faith in Jesus that saves you. And if Jesus continues forever, you continue forever because your faith is in Him. I don't know if you knew that. Your security is found in the permanence of Jesus' priesthood, not in the permanence of your faith the permanence of the priesthood of Christ. I don't know if you ever had to um, change a family doctor, like a personal physician. I had someone I was really comfortable with, um, just sitting down with, and felt like we, we built trust. Um, I, I've shared my medical history with the doctor, and the doctor prescribed for me the things that work for me. And then she took another position somewhere else and left. She left me. <laughs> and that was such a bummer for me because I really felt like my medical needs, like the physiological conditions right, that I'm experiencing, going through, she understood and she was prescribing the right 
things for me. But now I have to find somebody else. And the process has to repeat itself. Somebody else to relearn my history, get to know me, and then come to a point where they can prescribe something that actually works for me, not, not all these experimental things that they're excited about, but stuff that works, you know. I just remember being very stressful during this period when I was going through this. Um, it, it was basically uh, a, a doctor who was prescribing migraine medication, just so you don't freak out. It's when I had get migraines. Um, now, on one level, this is similar to the problem the Israelites faced with earthly priests, their impermanence, right? Th these earthly priests died. And when the truest need of God's people is to be sure that they can be with God forever and dwell with God forever, because that's the covenant, right? They didn't have a priest who gave them confidence in that, gave them that sense of permanence. And so this, this is important for this other reason, and that is it's not just a matter of somebody living forever. Somebody has to be forever faithful to God, forever obedient to God, forever pure before God, forever holy before God. That guy needs to be your priest. With these human priests, you're always at risk. Right? You're, you're always basically going to God. You're trying to cash a check that could potentially bounce. And that's a problem. So the author points us to a better priest and the qualities of this better priest. Take a look at verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. How much better is this high priest? Not only is he sinless, not only is he innocent, not only is he unstained, he is exalted above the heavens, something that no Levite could ever say about himself. The angels worshipped him. That's Jesus. Abraham bowed before him. That's Jesus. These are his qualities, and this means that in Jesus you find all the terms for your, your admission into the kingdom of God and your right to remain there forever as a child of God. You find all of that in Him. He meets all those conditions. And if that's, if that's Jesus' offering, right, Himself, if that's His sacrifice, then you can never be rejected by God. You'll always be received by Him. See, the question is not not whether the Levitical priests meet these terms or whether you and I meet these terms. We don't. We don't. We never will. The real question is, is our faith in the better high priest who does, who does meet these terms? Is your faith in him? Do you see what he says in verse 22, that this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better, better covenant? The old covenant didn't secure anything permanently. It pointed you to the one that does are you resting in that, in the permanent securing of your salvation in Christ? That's why Jesus is better. He can guarantee that. Not the old covenant passing away, but the new one that is going to be forever. The one that doesn't expire. This is what believing in Jesus means. It means 
rather than you packing your bags, making your journey, going through all these barriers to come before God, only to get stuck before the curtain, believing in Jesus means through Him you have full access to your Heavenly Father and only through Him alone. That's what being a Christian means. And this leads us to the last point. Therefore, only Jesus can reassure us of our forever with God. The the tremendously reassuring and, and, and the practical thing here that we have to draw from this is that no matter how your faith may struggle, okay, how your faith might feel as though it's, it's weakened and, and your life of obedience is inconsistent, your, your intensity of worship, your, the passion you, you feel in your worship fluctuates, Regardless of all of these things, you can be sure you still have full access to your Heavenly Father because, because it is not Jesus plus the quality of your faith, your obedience, your worship, but Jesus Christ alone that brings you to the Father. Too many Christians today confuse putting their faith in Jesus with putting their faith in their faith putting their faith in the quality of their faith. How well am I doing in my faith? And letting that dictate their relationship with God. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about putting your faith in Christ alone. And it doesn't matter if your faith is huge or the size of a mustard seed. If your faith is in Jesus, you're okay. Don't put your faith in your faith. Put your faith in Christ your high priest. See, the thing is, if you think that when your faith gets weak, then God's hold on you, his love for you gets weak, then your faith is not in Jesus, it's in your faith. Or if you think that the intensity of your worship is something that determines the intensity of God's love for you, you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping your worship. If you think that your obedience to God is what sustains your righteousness before God, your obedience is not to Jesus, but to your self-righteousness. In the same way, the author is telling the Jewish Christians, if you think you'll be saved by the Levitical priesthood, your faith is not in Christ, it's in Levites. If you think that the, the repeated animal sacrifices still has any value, you're not resting in Christ's sacrifice for you, but man's. Your own sacrifice on your behalf. You have to let these former things go. You have to understand what a comfort it is when you get to let those things go. And the author is using very strong language here, like in verse 18, to liberate them from this. He calls this old system of the law weak and useless. Weak and useless. And they're therefore to be set aside They've expired. The one that they were pointing to has come. So put these things aside if you want to really draw near to God. Do you know why it's so good that there is only one way to God and, and, and that is Jesus? People think that's, well, that's so intolerant. That sounds so bigoted and narrow-minded to say that Jesus is the only way to God. But the thing is, that's actually good news. It's actually a good thing that Jesus is the only way to Christ. Why? Because that frees you 
from grasping onto all the things that are useless and weak to save you. It frees you from it. If Jesus is the only way, you, you can let go of your attempt to work your way into heaven, your attempt to build your own utopia on earth. It frees you from the burden of perfectionism and workaholism if Christ is all you need. It's actually good news that he's all we need. The only question is, are you willing to set aside these former things that are weak and useless to save you? Or more accurately, are you willing to label these former things as weak and useless, as just your baby step? Are you willing to label them as weak and useless, even if you're struggling to let them go? You're holding on to your track record, your personal accomplishments, the quality or the recognition of your faith, your theological knowledge, your relationships. Are you willing to consider them all weak and useless to save you and justify you when compared to Christ? And are you willing, again, to stop putting your faith in your faith, but in Christ alone? Do you know the comfort of this? Have you experienced, are you experiencing the comfort of this, of letting things go and holding on to Christ? Um, letting go even of your own faith. And what I mean by that is not that you should give up on your faith, but don't worship your faith. Don't be obsessed about the quality of your faith, the condition of your faith. It's all about the location of your faith. Is your faith placed in Jesus? That's what saves you. A couple examples to press this point further, um, and you may have heard this before. You know, when the Israelites were crossing the Red Sea, right, you have your, let's say you have your uh, Joe and you have your, um, what's another common name? Let's say Joe and Sam. Jewish Joe and Sam crossing the Red Sea. Joe is absolutely confident that they're going to make it through. No doubt whatsoever. And he's singing, he's celebrating, he's having like his own revival meeting across the Red Sea. Sam, however, is crossing the Red Sea trembling, fearful. What if? What if the waters collapse on me? What if I don't make it all the way? What if the Egyptians get behind us. He's just following while being fearful. Does Joe make it and not Sam? They both make it. Because it's not the condition of their faith that saves, right? but the fact that God is delivering them. Here's another more maybe personal example. I've shared with some of you, some of you my, my irrational fear of flying, okay? I have this terrible way of just entertaining all the wrong thoughts as soon as I get on the plane. Okay, as soon as I sit down, it's like all the terrible thoughts just start entering my mind. All these what ifs, you know. What if the what if some safety mechanism fails? What if what if we lose a wing? And what if what if what if we hit a bunch of birds and turbulence? And while next to me are folks who are just chatting with their friends. And over here, there are people playing on their iPad. I'm over here freaking out internally. Right? When the pilot lands the plane, am I gone? 
Have I been ejected from the plane because of my lack of faith in the pilot? No. What, what gets me to my destination is not the condition of my faith, but my location, my location. Have I put my trust in the pilot and placed myself there? And regardless of whether I've doubted him at times, I've questioned him at times, if ultimately I've played myself in his care, I'll get home. Are you resting in Christ alone for your salvation and not Christ plus the condition of your faith as if that's what gets you home? Do you turn to Christ and Christ alone? If you do, be assured this covenant is yours. As it says in verse 25, consequently, having this faith in Jesus brings this consequence. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lived to make intercession for them. You'll be saved to the uttermost. you get home. You'll make it home. How do you know that? Not because you said a prayer to receive Jesus into your heart at one point, sometime when you were in high school or middle school, or because you chose to go up and get baptized, that is not what saves you to the uttermost. Because then, whenever you're struggling with doubt, whenever you're struggling with your assurance of salvation, your immediate instinct would then be to do what? Say the prayer again. Get baptized again. If that's where your confidence is. But see, that's not putting your faith in Christ. That's putting your faith in your prayer. That's putting your faith in your baptism. You're repeating these things just as the Jews had to repeat the sacrifices in the temple over and over and over again for their assurance. But when you do come to Jesus in faith, you can let go of these former things. You can set them aside. Obey Him and pray. Obey Him and be baptized. Obey Him and worship. But don't ever think that's what gets you to the Father. Christ gets you to the Father. And having been made children of God, we live our life of obedience in response. It's a response. Response to the gift that we have been given. And it doesn't have to be as excellent as Christ, your response, because it's not. It will never be as excellent as Christ. Don't rest in in the excellence of your response. God delights in his children's response, whatever the quality might be. Just this morning, my daughter, my five-year-old daughter, left by my bedside uh, two little drawings. And it's meant to be her expression of um, how we love one another, how we are uh, together and playing. But if you look at the picture itself, and I'm just going to be brutally honest here, it's a monstrous drawing. I was like, who's that? Because to me, it looked like a ghost. It seriously just looked like a ghost. He's like, that's you. And who's that? That's me. And then a bunch of hearts. And guess what? I was so pleased by that. Because it came from my child. And it's her response to me. Not, Not a way to earn my love, but a response to my love for her. Your offering to God 
when you judge it according to whatever the enemy tells you, whatever the world tells you, even when you judge it according to the law of God, can look quite insufficient and deficient. But understand, if you are a child of God, which you are if you have Christ, God is pleased. God is pleased when you think upon him, when you read his word, when you pray to him, even if that prayer is inarticulate and just, mum, just your mumbling of words, your attempt at loving your brother and sister in Christ, your attempt to be present with others and serve them in response to God, even if your presence isn't perfect, even your answer to people's questions isn't perfect, even your sympathizing and empathizing with others can fall short of Christ's sympathizing and empathizing. God, your heavenly Father, is pleased by that. He's pleased by that. Because, and only if it's because you're doing it in response to his love for you. I hope you rest in that. I hope we as a church would rest in that and continue to strive, not so much for excellence, but for this restedness in Christ. Not so much for excellence, but restedness in Christ. And let that prompt you to respond however the Holy Spirit leads you, whether it's praying for someone, uh, making yourself available to someone, serving someone, okay, encouraging someone. Respond in love. And we can do this if we put our faith in Jesus and Him alone, because in Him we have secured the better covenant. We have secured indestructible life in Him, and we know we'll be saved to the uttermost. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, um, we thank You for the gift of Your Son, not only to be our offering, not only to be the sacrifice, but also to be the high priest who willingly offers himself on our behalf. Lord, our faith is like us. It's imperfect. It's not 100%. It struggles. It fluctuates. It's very much like a roller coaster. But praise be to God that we're not saved by the quality of our faith. And praise be to God that we're saved by the location of our faith. That as long as we are looking to Jesus, even faintly, even weakly, um, even as we struggle, He will save us to the uttermost. And that makes Him great. That makes Him merciful. That makes Him kind. That makes Him loving and gracious. Help us to believe that and prompt us to respond to him, um, respond to him freely out of our love, growing love for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.